0: Hey everybody, happy Easter. Uh, If you are watching today for the first time or maybe you've watched a couple of weeks and I've just never taken time to introduce myself, uh, my name is Chip, I'm the lead pastor here at The Orchard and I'm just thrilled that you are here today to celebrate Easter with us as we celebrate the resurrection, right? Because Easter is that day that is set aside every year for us to celebrate and commemorate the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And as we get started, I just want to be very clear uh, that here at the Orchard, that I myself personally believe that Jesus literally physically died, like his heart stopped pumping, Uh, neurons in his brain stopped firing like he died. But I also believe that a few short days later that his heart started pumping again that blood started flowing through his veins, that those neurons kicked back on, that his lungs sucked in air one more time, that Jesus literally came back to life, that he got up and walked out of his own tomb. Now, I guess to be fair, you probably know that. You probably understand that. Most of us know that part of the story, that on that Easter Sunday morning, the stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out. You know that part of the story. Now, whether you believe it or not, that that may be another thing, but you know the story. We know that Jesus died, and then on Easter Sunday, he rose again. But my question for you is, do you know why Jesus was ultimately put to death by those Roman and Jewish political and religious power brokers of his day? Why do you know what ultimately got Jesus arrested and crucified? Many people believe that he was put to death for being a threat to Roman power in the area, that he might lead an insurrection, Uh, Many believe that it was for disrupting Jewish religious and political power structures that had existed for centuries. Uh, You may say, well, Jesus was killed because he claimed to be God in the flesh. Well, all of these things have truth in them. The Romans were afraid of what he might do. The Jews were afraid of what he might do. He, He literally claimed to be God. They all played a part into what ultimately led to his arrest and crucifixion. But John's gospel puts the focus on one specific event that sets all of these wheels in motion. And that event is none other than another resurrection. The miracle of Jesus when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Now we find this miracle in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll catch up with you in a little bit. But we find it in John chapter 11. And in the course of that unfolding narrative of Lazarus's resurrection from the grave, we also find our last of Jesus's seven I am statements that are included in the gospel of John. And if you've been with us for a little while, over the last five weeks, we've been looking at each of these I am statements. And in each of these statements, we've seen, I think, two primary things. Um, The first is that we have seen Jesus's unflinching claim that he was literally God in the flesh, that he was the same God of the Old Testament that identified himself to Moses at the burning bush as I am. And so every one of these statements where Jesus says, I am, he's identifying himself with God. But then secondly, I think by plumbing the depths of the Old Testament and cultural context that we've seen interwoven in each of these statements we've been able to gain a fuller, a deeper, a richer picture of who Jesus actually is. And uh, I want to stop here and say something. Um, If you've been with us for the last few weeks, and all you've gained from those messages, or maybe just today, if all you gain from today is a better picture of who Jesus is, I mean, that's good, but ultimately, if that's all you get, you've missed the most important part. And that may sound weird for me as a pastor to say, but let me lay it out like this. It's not just who Jesus is, it's who Jesus is to you. Now, one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Tim Keller, says it like this, the essence of Christianity is that it is personal. And so what he means, I think, is this. Saying that Jesus was born, saying that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, saying that he's coming again, saying those things does not make you a Christian. It might make you a scholar or a student of the Bible, but it doesn't make you a Christian. Now, On the other hand, saying that Jesus was born to save me, saying that he lived a sinless life in my place, saying that he died on the cross for my sins, that he was raised from the dead for my justification, that he ascended into heaven to intercede with the Father on my behalf, and that he is coming again to take me home, and then believing that? See, that does make you a Christian. And I hope you see the difference there, right? You don't understand Christianity if you don't understand the personal nature of it. It's not just who Jesus is, but it's who Jesus is to you. Jesus has to be more than some historical, moral, inspirational example. And I think that's exactly what we're going to find today in John chapter 11. So again, if you're in John chapter 11, we're going to catch up. But really, the story itself is so long. For sake of time this morning, let me just kind of lay out that story for you if you're unfamiliar with it. And then we'll kind of go back and press into some specifics I think are important. Uh, So in John chapter 11, verse 1, we see Jesus and his disciples. And then a messenger comes from the town of Bethany to Jesus and says, Jesus, Lazarus, your friend, the one you love, he's sick. And then Jesus does something that's pretty spectacular. Instead of uh, getting up in that moment to go to Lazarus to heal him, Jesus stays put. And John's very clear that it's because he loved Lazarus that he stayed put. And he tells his disciples, look, we're going to stay, but this sickness is not ultimately going to end in death. And so Jesus waits for a couple of days. And then after Lazarus has died, he gets up and makes his way to Bethany. Now, when he gets there to Bethany, Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. Both of them come to meet Jesus. And when they go to meet Jesus, what's, what's interesting is John records them saying the exact same thing. Jesus, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Now, we don't know exactly the tone of voice they said that in, because I think there's a couple of ways they could say that. They could say, Jesus, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Or they could have said, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. I'm not sure how they said it, but I know they'd been talking about it because they both said the same thing. And then Jesus is deeply moved by this. And he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. And he commands the people there to roll away the stone from in front of the tomb. And in an undefeated scriptural quotation, Mary says, but Lord... He stinketh, right? He smells, he's he's been dead for four days. Why do you want to roll away the stone? And then Jesus prays, Father, it's not for my sake, but for the sake of those listening that I'm praying, but I, I pray that you would help them see. And then in a loud voice, Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And sure enough, Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, walks out of his own tomb. Now, we don't know how long that took. Obviously, that didn't happen immediately. It took a minute for Lazarus to come back to life, for that heart to start pumping, blood to start flowing, neurons to start firing, lungs to start breathing. And beyond that, if you've been to tombs in Israel, it wasn't a short walk that he had to literally walk through a tunnel to come out. And there was a moment there where I'm sure everybody looks around and says, man, this guy just told the dead guy to get up, to come forth. And it was probably an uncomfortable silence as they waited to see what would happen. But eventually, if even slowly, Lazarus does come forth. And he comes out still wrapped in the burial clothes. And Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, unwrap this man and set him free. It's an incredible story. And uh, I think for our purposes today, I want to lean into some specific parts of that story some parts of that story that I think have a great relevance to you and I today. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it with me to John chapter 11 and let's look at some of these specifics. The first specific that I want you to see is the reality of death and more importantly, Jesus's reaction to it. Um, One of the parts of this story that really just hits home with me is the very open emotion that the death of Lazarus brings out in Jesus. Um, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, Look at John chapter 11, right? Start in verse 32. It says, As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. So you you see in this passage, the emotion that Jesus shows, he cries, he's deeply moved. But here's my question. Here's my question for you right now. If Jesus knew what he was about to do, Right like like if he knew that he was about to raise Lazarus back to life if he knew how this story was going to end why did he cry If I was Jesus and I knew what I was going about to do I wouldn't cry I'd probably be smirking like an idiot oh oh just you wait Mary but that's not what we see we see Jesus cry why did he cry if he knew what he was about to do Well of course I think part of it has to be he's crying because a loved one A friend has died. That's part of it for sure. But I think that the tears Jesus sheds aren't tears of sadness. They aren't tears of sorrow. I think they're tears of anger. Now, that seems weird, right? But but follow me. Go back to verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her crying, the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved. We see that phrase in verse 33. And again, we see it in verse 38 that we didn't read. Now, that phrase is a very specific phrase in the original language that the New Testament was written in. John does not use this phrase because it means sadness or sorrow. Matter of fact, very literally, that phrase translated in your Bible, deeply moved, is used to indicate anger and frustration. Matter of fact, many translations have a footnote included there in verse 23 or 33 that if you read, literally says anger. And so here's what I want you to understand. Jesus was not sad because he knew very well the joy that was about to flow out of that tomb when Jesus or when Lazarus walked out of it. Jesus was angry at seeing the way that death and ultimately its cause, sin, had devastated this family that he loved. Jesus roared with a holy anger, seeing the effects of sin and death, ravaging the body of Lazarus and the heart of Martha and Mary, his dear friends. And I get this, personally, having lost my mother at a young age, having seen People lose loved ones at even younger ages and in even more tragic circumstances. I get this anger, and I'm sure you do too. But all too often, the anger that we feel, the anger that death evokes in us, isn't directed where it should be. Many times we get angry at God God, how could you? God, why would you let this happen? We get angry at others, people who might have been at fault, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But here, Jesus in his perfect righteousness is furious with death itself and that which brought death into the world, sin. See, I I think in this moment, it's important for us to see that how we see death also says much about how we see Jesus. Most people deal with death in a few different ways. They, they deny it, ignore it, pretend it's not a thing, try and keep it out of the way as much as they can. Uh, they romanticize it as a natural part of life that we just must embrace. Or they fear it, try and avoid it at all cost. Honestly, probably a combination of those three. But as believers, I want to tell you today, we don't have to see death as any of these things. It is not a a reality to be ignored. It is not a natural thing that is to be embraced. And it is not some great enemy that is to be feared. Why? Because death is an enemy that has ultimately been defeated by Jesus. That's what we celebrate on Easter. Yes, death is our enemy, but it is a defeated enemy. Death does not break us, it makes us. Instead of the worst thing we experience, it becomes the best thing because death is what brings us into the presence of Jesus. Death is the worst thing that can befall us, and yet it ushers us in to more power and glory than we have ever known. See, we don't have to deny it, embrace it, or fear it, because for the follower of Jesus, death is a defeated enemy. It is a dark tunnel that leads us into the light of real life. But again, that doesn't really mean anything if you only see Jesus as some inspirational figure out of the pages of history. This only matters if you believe it personally. Which brings me to the second specific I want to push into. That's Jesus' conversation with Martha. So back up a couple verses to verse 20. Here's what we read there. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And then Martha said to Jesus, the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But she goes on to say, Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus replies, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And here it is. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. So, I I want you to hear the specific things I want you to look at. Look at what Jesus uh, says. And then look at what Jesus asked. What did he say? Number one, I am the resurrection and the life. Look, this is the hope of Easter. This is why death is a defeated enemy. It is because Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. He died, yet he lives. He defeated death, hell, and the grave and now offers life to all who would repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in him. I am the resurrection and the life. This is the hope of Easter. But, It doesn't stop there. Jesus pushes it further because what does he say? The one who believes in me, even if he dies will live, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It's not just that he is the resurrection and the life, he is the resurrection and the life for all who believe. That's what he said, right? That resurrection comes into our life through belief. Both physical and spiritual resurrection. Both future and present resurrection. You see, when we are resurrected spiritually, that happens through belief in Jesus, and that life will never cease. It is eternal life. That's another word that John uses. And then one day when we do have to face death physically, we will ultimately be raised physically and very literally be with Jesus forever. So it's not just that he is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life for all who believe. By belief, we participate in that resurrection and life. But even there, he pushes still further when he asks, But Martha, do you believe this? You see, it doesn't matter if you know this. Do you believe this? Maybe I should ask it this way. Is Jesus your resurrection and your life? You see, every one of these I am statements that we have been walking through, they don't do us any good unless we relate to them and experience them personally. Is Jesus the bread that satisfies you? Is Jesus the light that guides you? Is he the shepherd that cares for you? Is he the way that saves you? Jesus is saying in all of these statements, I am for you jesus has been raised for you so now his resurrection is yours that's the point do you believe is this something you have received and experienced personally his resurrection can be yours and that really is the last specific that I want to lean into, and and we'll do it really quickly. It's the aftermath from Lazarus' resurrection. So skip down towards the end of chapter 11, starting in verse 45. In verse 45, it says, Therefore, therefore, because of everything that happened, the resurrection of Lazarus, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. They saw this and they said, Absolutely, he's the Son of God, I'm going to believe in him. But, some of them went to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin, the high religious court of the Jews, and were saying, what are we going to do since this man has done many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. And then we skip down to verse 53... It says, so, they, so from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Right? So full circle, this is what got Jesus killed. From the time that he raised Lazarus, from that day forward, the religious leaders sought to put Jesus to death. Now don't miss this. Jesus, being God in the flesh, knew that was going to happen. He knew that when he raised Lazarus, they would seek to put him to death. Jesus knew it would happen. And look at me, he made the deliberate choice to raise Lazarus anyway. Jesus knew that the only way to interrupt Lazarus' funeral was to cause his own he knew that to bring Lazarus out of the grave, he had to go to the grave himself. He knew that the only thing that would bring Lazarus from death was for him to go through death. You see, that is the same for each one of us. Our life only comes through his death. Our hope for eternity only comes from the death of Jesus in our place on our cross, and his resurrection from the dead. We can't earn it. and We definitely don't deserve it. But full of grace and love, Jesus paid the price that sets us free from that grip. That sets us free from the grip of death, and it allows us to be raised to life, both now spiritually and in the future physically. So you know that makes me think of, as, as, as stupid as it is, You know you go to Walmart and on your way out of Walmart now you have to show them the receipt and they look at your receipt and they look in your buggy and then they take that highlighter right and they draw a line down it. You're free to go. Well in a very real if not somewhat silly way the resurrection of Jesus is our receipt. The resurrection of Jesus is the receipt that our sins and our debts against a holy God have been paid in full and now we are free to go. Death no longer has a claim on us. We will experience resurrection just as he did. Because he lives, we will live too. And so the question I have for you as we end this Easter. Do you have your receipt? Do you personally know Jesus as your Savior? Have you come to the place where you don't just know this, but you believe this, that he is your resurrection and your life? If you don't, you can today. We have people who are right now waiting to pray with you, to talk with you. You can reach out to any one of our location pastors. I'll talk to you personally. But you can know today that Jesus is your Lord and your resurrection. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the time that you've given us today. I pray that by the power of your word and the work of your spirit, that you would raise many hearts to life. That they would not just know these things, but they would come to believe them and experience them personally. Jesus, thank you that you won a battle that we couldn't. That you destroyed the victory of death, hell, and the grave. And now through our faith in you, we get the benefits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.